Welcome to the Leaders in Life Sciences podcast, powered by Interay Life Sciences Consulting. In this podcast, you'll hear from leaders in the life sciences industry, how they grew into their current roles, the lessons they learned along the way, and advice for those aspiring to follow in their footsteps. I am the host. My name is Mike Ferletic, and I'm the CEO of Interay Life Sciences Consulting. At Interay, we help leaders orchestrate the positive change they want to see in their organization. Are you ready to be recognized for your leadership success? Take a listen. Welcome everyone to the Leaders in Life Sciences podcast. We have a great show for you today. Cannot wait to get started, but first I want to introduce my co-host, Courtney Boudreau. Hi, Courtney. How are you? Hi, Mike. I'm good. How are you doing? Doing well, doing well. How uh, how are things going for you uh, this time of year? Really wonderful. I, I got to say January is off to a fantastic start for me, which is such a refreshing change from these past two years. <laughs> so nice. yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to 2022 and everything that will come. That's right. It's going to be a good year. It's going to be a good year. I know, uh, I don't know if you're a college football fan, but uh, the day we're recording here, it's a big game tonight, college football national championship, Alabama versus Georgia. Unfortunately, neither one of those teams are ones that I cheer for, but uh, still a fan nonetheless. I'm looking forward to seeing who can pull off uh, the big win tonight. Are you a football fan? I do not follow football anymore. I used to be a cheerleader, though. Okay. So I do know what football is, okay. <laughs> but I, I, I don't, I don't watch, but yeah, it's exciting. I mean, any of those big games are always super high energy and always a lot of fun. So. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm a, as you know, big Notre Dame fan. So uh, we like football. Our team has not quite made it across the, uh, to the top of the mountain in a while, but uh fan nonetheless. So. Yeah. That's good. But like you, maybe this 2022 will be a different exciting very prosperous year we're going to look forward to great things this year yeah it sounds really exciting so awesome all right well our guest today is the worldwide vice president of regulatory affairs at bd having served in that role since 2020 uh, we are going to welcome neela gibson to the podcast recognized as a strong results oriented executive neela has enjoyed an impressive career highlighted by obtaining multiple PMA approvals and 510K clearances from the US FDA and similar approvals from international regulatory agencies. During her 20 plus years with J&J, Neelu served on five management boards, holding leadership positions in regulatory affairs at seven J&J companies. Prior to joining BD, Neelu was most recently the head of regulatory affairs for J&J Surgical Vision. Neelu has a BS in environmental sciences from the College of Northeast London, located in the UK. She is certified regulatory affairs professional and an active member of Device Alliance, RAPS, and OCRA. Nilu also continues to coach and mentor regulatory affairs professionals along their own leadership journeys. Let's welcome to the podcast, Nilu Gibson. Welcome, Nilu. We are glad to have you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Let's jump right in. I'll get started with an easy one here. I kind of want to learn a little bit more about your journey in the life sciences industry and kind of how you got into the industry in the first place. Actually, it's been a very interesting journey from the standpoint of I never woke up and said, you know, I want to be a regulatory affairs professional. My background, actually, as you mentioned, was environmental health, environmental science. So in England, I actually studied to be a health inspector. So we did, you know, inspections of food, housing, pollution, stuff like that. 
came stateside and my first role was actually at UCI where I was uh, again working on biosafety etc so falling into RA was actually unique from the standpoint that I was actually presenting uh, to one of the management teams about an inspection that we were having and the vice president of RA approached me at the end of that meeting and said you know you work with like a Department of Toxic Substances and EPA, you would be a really good fit for coming across into Reg Affairs. Now, I had no idea who the Food and Drug Administration was at the time, but I decided to sort of take a leap of faith, and you'll hear me say that a lot, into a career that I knew nothing about and, uh, you know, fell in love with it and have been doing it ever since. That's awesome. I know you are a follower of Simon Sinek, and he espouses a philosophy of finding your why. And I'm wondering, maybe that's kind of what happened along the way in that journey? Yeah, it did. And uh, it was interesting because, you know, we, we talk about writing like mission statements and, and knowing where you want to go and all of the rest of it. I'd actually come to a personal crossroads. My son was five years old when I went through a divorce. And at that point, I had a job that I enjoyed. But that got me to kind of just literally sit down and think about what I wanted to do with my life, right? It was one of those, those moments. Where, and, and I actually was just scribbling things on a piece of paper, which later I came to realize as my personal mission statement. Mm. I said I wanted to do something that allowed me you know, enough time with my family and friends, something that facilitated travel, because I, I love traveling, right? And something that gave me a career that either helped people or the environment, because those were my foundational, that was my degree, right? Coming into, into the world is because I wanted to do something either for the environment or for people. And as I developed that, I chose careers that would facilitate those. And so my, my tenure with J&J, particularly because they allowed so much of fitting with my, my core mission statement, and similarly with BD, I'm doing what I love. And again, you know, in service of our patients is the number one priority, right? So that's, uh, that, that was pretty much my why. And I defined it that way. That's great. I, I uh, love to hear the stories of people that are in the industry and really look to serving the patients as the ultimate goal of everything mm-hmm. you do. And I know J&J, a lot of people think of J&J as like baby powder, band-aids, but we know it's much more. You were involved in seven different companies at a high high leadership level. Tell us a bit more about what drew you to J&J and kind of inspired you to stay for the 20 plus years you were there. I think the, the first move that I made was, again, from UCI to J&J, and it was as the environmental engineer. So it was sort of, I hadn't really thought too much about like, oh, I'm going to go help patients instead of the environment now, right? You're just going, okay, this is something that fits in with what my next career opportunity needs to be. But as I became more and more involved with my role at ASP was my first company. Johnson & Johnson, as you know, has a credo, right? And so, you know, that you see it on the walls everywhere. And I would be like, okay, you know, reading this thing about, you know, what our responsibilities were. And, you know, at the the top of it, it's always, you know, our responsibility to, to doctors and patients and nurses, right? But as you start living the journey, you realize how important that really is in all your decision making and, and who you evolve as a J&J employee. Now with BD, we have the BD way, which is very similar. Like we do what is right. And again, it's the focus is again on the patient. So I think that helps refine how you think and, and the decisions that you make. Yeah, definitely. It's kind of crazy. I can see, uh, almost see the uh, ASP building like straight out my office window here. It's right across the freeway. So 
it's neat to kind of tie tie together some of those points. I wanted to kind of get some thoughts because you know, being at a company for 20 years, I'm sure there's some different actions that maybe you took along the way to help put yourself in the spot to take on those leadership roles down, you know, maybe five years, 10 years down the road. How, how did you kind of take ownership of your own leadership experience at that point? So I, I think when you're early in career and this happened to me, I was actually at an okra event. And, you know, when you have the little mixer at the end, uh, I was speaking with a young lady and she says, so, so what's your five-year plan? And I said, well, I don't know what I'm doing tomorrow, frankly, <laughs> so five years is way too far. And her response was, well, that's sort of sad, isn't it? I was like, oh, what? Wow. <laughs> uh, I, right, exactly, right? So I, I, but that got me thinking. Yeah. Because up until that point, I had a job. And what that got me like shifting my mindset to was what does a career look like and what decisions do I need to make to advance a career, not just a job. I mean, that, uh, and again, the distinction for me really is you go home, uh, you, you know, come into work, you do what you're supposed to do that day, and then you go home. That's it, right? That's your puddle of information. I'm supposed to give something to Mike. I'm supposed to give something to Courtney. I hand that off. I'm done. Now, a career to me is looking at the bigger picture what does it mean when I do X? What are the ramifications, right? And, and how can I influence those in a positive way? So that's when I started really thinking about how to not just make a decision uh, work-wise on you know, money, because everybody's like, oh, well, they're going to pay me a lot more. But it's like, yeah, but is it meaningful? What value are you adding? How am I growing in my role, right, to then, again, give back? So if you look at my career profile, it's sort of peppered with things like, you know, career changes. I mentioned going from environmental to rec affairs was huge. I knew nothing, right? But I learned. Secondly, having leaders that encouraged me to do things like take stretch assignments, right? In roles that I never would have thought I could do, right? So having people that empower you and believe in you. I've also done several lateral moves. And people were like, well, but you're a director here. Why are you going as a director to another company? And my perspective on that was look at how much I am learning, right? It isn't always, again, about the title. It is about what you're learning and what your takeaway is. So I, you know, going from something that was a, a 510K only company. So that is, you know, obviously not assuming everybody knows <laughs> what these things are, yeah. right? So uh, from an FDA standpoint, they uh, look at devices from a risk-based system, right? So the lower the risk, the lower the classification. So class two medical devices, for example, require documentation called a 510K. So you need to get a clearance from the FDA. So I'd worked in the 510K arena for quite a while. The next level, which is class three devices, which are your PMAs, which are like novel devices that are coming out into the marketplace. There is nothing similar to that. So going to that I did a lateral move, but I got to learn about class three medical devices. Similarly, going from simple hardware devices to understanding software-driven medical devices, mm. right? Yeah. Just making those kinds of decisions to see how you become a well-rounded professional, not just seeking a title, um, I think is one of the, the ways I've approached my career. What excites you about regulatory affairs? Because I know, you know, you've, you've been here for over 25 years in this role and you, you talked about some career changes. So obviously, I, I kind of like to make the assumption that you enjoy regulatory affairs. So yeah, what excites you? 
Honestly, it's it's sort of interesting because when when you tell people you work in rug affairs, they think you read these like you're you're in some like room filled with scrolls and these terrible requirements and regulations, <laughs> right? And we're supposed to be these really boring people. But honestly, yeah. I think it's fascinating because it is about people. That is what I love about regulatory affairs. Yes, you have regulations that you need to meet. You have guidance documents from the FDA, etc. But think yeah. about what we have to do. They have a job, right? The agency has a job to protect and ensure the well-being of you know, the public. We work for the industry. I have to work with my counterparts in quality, R&D, marketing, pick a function, operations. How do I translate what the requirements are from an agency standpoint into what we need to do from a industry standpoint? So that's the piece that I love. And that's why I've stayed in RA for so long. There's something fascinating about going from like feasibility of a device uh-huh. to actually seeing it come on the market. And I've been fortunate in my career to actually go see patients where the devices are being used that I actually touched from an RA standpoint. So uh-huh. yeah, I think RA is one of like the best fields that I could have chosen. And I, you know, I was fortunate to fall into it. Yeah, that's amazing. I know that you know, RA can definitely be a contentious department within any organization. So how do you overcome some of some of that, you know, maybe adversity that you'd say in your role? Oh my gosh, yeah, there, there is quite a lot of that. There's actually two things. One is people not wanting to hear what you have to say, right? So then yeah. essentially, rather than saying, well, you have to do this, I believe in taking people on the journey, right? It's like, the more you partner with whichever stakeholder to kind of say, okay, this is why we need to do it. And this is how I'm looking for your expertise on ensuring we meet the requirements that we have versus saying, you need to do this because the regulation says so. It's like right. there's no negotiation at that point, right? But having the ability to educate people on why you need to do certain things, I think goes a long way. The second part is, repetition. And this is sometimes a little more more frustrating than the whole education piece. And that is, if people don't like listening to the message, they will ask the same question over and over again, expecting a different answer or short-term memory, right? So people are like, I don't remember you saying this. And it's like, yes, (laughs) about it at the last meeting. (laughs) So so that I think is, uh, again, a journey that we have to take people on. Being a person who models the behavior that I want to see in others, mm-hmm. I ensure that I don't kind of go, what do you mean you don't understand, right? I always need to take it back to the foundation of they're coming from a good place. Let's meet them that, you know, in that place and help them move forward. So yeah, it's, it's not an easy job. But again, you don't get into it if it was easy, right? Again, it takes a certain type of RA person, I think, or a certain type of personality yeah. to go into regulatory as well. So, and, and I don't mean just being an extrovert, because clearly I'm a huge extrovert, but I think it needs somebody who understands and likes people and likes to take the time to, again, help people understand our universe. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, all of the things you've mentioned really highlight just such excellent teamwork because you do work cross-functionally with so many other groups and, you know, just being an excellent teammate, it sounds like is also been key to your success. So thank yeah, you. I think the only people who can say I was an excellent teammate are the people I worked with. <laughs> <laughs> Same way when people say I'm an amazing leader, it's like, no, you, you cannot say that. It's your people and the people's lives that you touched 
can say you're an amazing leader, right? So, yeah. uh, you know, you just do the best that you can. I think for me, one of the key elements has been whichever organization I went to. I mean, we think about Johnson & Johnson as this one big company. It isn't. It's made up of multiple companies, each one with its own culture and its own challenges and successes. So going into every organization, I always thought about what is the impact or what's the value that I'm bringing? So now that I'm at BD coming in here, uh, one of the first things that I did was come up with my mission statement, right? What, what do we want to be? And secondly, what is the quick description of my RA team? So we believe in ACE, right? And essentially, when we interview people, we're talking about ACE. So accountability is huge for me. It's not just holding ourselves accountable to the best quality of work and best representation on teams, but it's also holding our counterparts accountable for the quality of their work and the types of interactions we have, right? And then collaboration, to your point, it's really easy to have people kind of go, we just don't want to do this. It's like, no, that's not collaborating. Using the word no is the easiest word in the English language because it shuts off all possibility, right? Mm -hmm. So how do you not, I mean, there are points where you do have to say no, right? But how do you, again, help people understand? So collaboration is the second one for me. And then education, and we've already talked about that. We should never assume everybody has walked a mile in our shoes. So how do you help them understand the space and how you guys, again, collaborate to get us to the end goal, which is bringing the safest, most effective medical devices to our patients? That's excellent. I, I wanted to ask you one question and kind of follow up to your earlier comments around going to each of your new positions, knowing that you are going to be learning something new. and having the courage to leave something that you're probably pretty comfortable in and taking that step to another, maybe another J&J company, another organization and having to learn something new, which I think could be exciting, could be a little bit nerve wracking, could be, you know, something that you're maybe nervous about, but I'm curious how, how you, you made those decisions to, to jump to that next opportunity, even if it was a lateral move and how you handled, I, I imagine that you're coming in having to learn something, going into an environment where people were the experts, they knew everything about that, and you had to demonstrate your ability to, to learn and lead in those environments. Tell us about that experience. Sure. So, yes, it is scary. <laughs> I think yeah. that's the word that we didn't use was, like, it is, it is frightening to kind of go into a new environment, right? But again, I think coming up to understand that you are bringing something of value to the table. You're not just coming in to kind of say, hey, help me understand and help me learn. It's about what are you, what expertise are you bringing to give to the organization? What value are you bringing, right? So from an, a decision standpoint, I had to get comfortable, number one, in the unknown. And that happened way early when I was given a stretch assignment of going from RA into quality to manage the complaints department because uh, their manager had you know, exited suddenly. So they said, hey, we need an interim. Can you take over quality complaints? And I was like, I, I don't know anything about this. Yeah. Uh, and my manager, again, it goes to that manager's faith and that ability to kind of go, you know what, you'll be fine. So I came in, there were, I think, five or six people in the team, and they were looking at me like, you know nothing about our world. And I, and I owned it. And I do this at every company that I go to. It's like, I don't understand the, your devices yet. I don't know the culture yet, but understand that I know regulatory affairs. I've been doing it for a really long time. So let's kind of, you know, help me learn so I can help advise as quickly as I can. 
So with my complaints organization, I did, you know, had a candid conversation with the team and I said, look, I don't know anything about complaints. You guys are the subject matter experts. Now tell me what your challenges have been and how I can best help you. And by having that conversation, one of the earliest things I found out about that poor group was that they had never had product training. So they were processing complaints without actually having seen the devices or understanding how they're used. So the first thing I did was I had our technical service group have us over into their uh, their area and they walked us through everything. So did I add huge value? Probably not, but at least folk were able to touch and feel the devices that they were working on complaints on. Another person said she'd always wanted to get into presentations. So I had to create a couple of presentations to our uh, stakeholders and turns out she did a beautiful job. So the next time I was asked to present something, I said, you know, would you like to go ahead and do that? She and I practiced. I set her up for success, made sure I was there to help if she needed it. But again, she did a beautiful job. And did I directly impact the complaints process? Not really. But what I did was I continued to engage the team and help them grow in whatever it was that they needed. So I think going into any role to, you know, to circle back to your actual question, yeah. I think it's, it's having confidence in knowing that, you know, you do bring something of value. So you're not just coming in just to kind of be a sponge and learn. You're also contributing something. And again, from a collaboration standpoint, right, I've had people say, oh, but you've never worked in the space of this before. And I'm like, you're right. I haven't. But I do know FDA and class two devices or class three devices pick something, right? I have worked in software for years, and that's when people go, okay. One other big piece of information that I learned was at some point, you need to stop auditioning for your job, right? Mm -hmm. When you get a new role, you got that because people saw merit in your capabilities. They believe you can add something of value to the organization and steer it. If you're a people leader, they, they've you know, checked that out as well. So you don't need to continue auditioning for it because once you have it, lead into it, lean into it. That's great. I particularly like the, the part of your story where yeah, you didn't come in and know all about the complaint process, but you helped uncover how you could help the rest of the team get better at what they're already good at by giving them knowledge about their products that they're fielding complaints on and just by asking questions, I'm presuming. So great. that's what you have to do. You have to have those like, like learner questions, right? And did I come up to speed on the process? Absolutely. Within my first 30 days, I knew exactly what the process needed to be. And at that point, we were started working with another company. And I actually created a complaints process that included two different businesses. It's sort of giving yourself time to ramp up on the technical knowledge that you may need about that particular function while you're adding value in some way. It sounds like you've done a lot of creating opportunities too that Bernie was not there before for your folks. So I, I think that's exemplary leadership and, and amazing to hear. Oh, thank you. <laughs> it's, it's because I've had amazing mentors in my in my life. And this is kind of interesting because I think when we talk about mentorship, and I know we haven't gone there, but I've had informal mentors because people always kind of say, okay, do you have a formal mentoring program? What I you know, going through my career, there was no formal mentoring anything, but I did have people who sort of navigated me or coached me to take on, you know, take risks where I normally wouldn't have done because they had faith in my ability. So I think as a people manager, that's what we need to look at is how do we help people recognize their capabilities when they themselves may not? That's great. In prep for our interview here, I looked at uh, some of the recommendations that you've received 
from others. And overwhelmingly, those individuals highlighted how you were such an outstanding coach and mentor to them. And so I think, yeah, getting into this mentorship topic, I think, like you said, it's important to find mentors. And maybe can, if you could continue talking about some of the key mentors in your, in your career that helped you on that journey, it'd be great for us to hear. The first one I would say would be the gentleman who got me into reg affairs from, uh, from environmental. And he was phenomenal because it's one thing to kind of say, okay, you know, take a job in my role, which I did, but he always had me thinking because I used to go straight to him and say, hey, John, the team is asking this and I, what should I tell them? And he was like, well, what do you think you should tell them? And I'm like, I don't know. Hence me having this conversation with you. And then he would say, hey, why don't you go read this guidance document and then let's come back and have a discussion. So then I would read and come back. So I've done, and I think Courtney, you've been at my, like, you know, when you teach a person to fish talk, right? Yeah. There were times when I would just say, I don't know, John, can you just tell me? He'd be like, if you teach a man to fish, you feed him for a day. But if you teach, I'd be like, oh my gosh, I should be a baker at this point, right? <laughs> get it. But so, so he was amazing at getting me to think and not just give answers. And as leaders, often we're so busy. When somebody comes in, it's really easy to say, just go do this. So it actually is a mindful thing where you have to kind of pause and go, let's get them to think about it. Another one was a senior leader within J&J, and she was awesome at creating opportunities for me to participate in not just cross-business, but cross-sector opportunities. As you know, J&J has three, you know, three sectors, right? So you've got medical, farm, and uh, you know, uh, what's the other one? So yeah, you leave in two years, you forget, right? Um, <laughs> but, uh, so there was one, I was asked to join a, a pharmaceutical group discussion in creating a process. And I said, I know nothing about farm. So she, her comment was, yes, but you know medical devices and they don't understand our space. That was pretty profound. So I joined, I provided the direction. I was the one who ended up presenting to senior leadership at J&J &J mm -hmm. for that particular topic, right? So, so having those kinds of folk who kind of help you along the journey, I think is phenomenal. And again, I, they were not my like formal coaches or assigned. I'll give you one other interesting anecdote. At least I think it was interesting. Uh, <laughs> there was this uh, one event that I was invited to discuss leadership and mentoring. Actually, it was, it was also networking. So at the end of the conversation, this young lady who was sitting at the back of the room, as I was walking out, she says, can I ask you something? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. So she says, will you be my mentor? And I said, okay. I said, so what are you looking for? So she goes, I want to be like you, the way you talk and, 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 you know, you're very animated. And I said, okay, but you can't teach somebody to be a personality. Right. What I, so I did set up time with her. We spent 30 minutes. She was a total introvert, but I helped her understand that, you know what? It's okay. You don't have to be as animated as I am to do anything. Be a hundred percent you. We talk about authentic leadership, right? So be yourself, but also know what it is you want to accomplish and what are the areas that you need to grow in, both from a technical standpoint, but a leadership standpoint as well. So I, I think that that mentorship, there's like mentoring, there's coaching, there's having an advocate. So I, I don't know how often or how many people know the difference between those. Or because I know early in my career, I didn't know because it's one of those crazy things that nobody really talks about, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very true. Very true. 
Hey, Courtney, a lot of our clients we work with have great ideas on how to improve their business, but they just run into challenges that seem to get in the way of accomplishing their goals. Have you ever seen that? Yeah, of course. It happens all the time. I've seen clients struggle with a lack of visibility into all the work that's happening within their organization. I've seen clients that are focused on manual tasks, which takes away from focusing on the actual project work. And I've seen leadership struggle to make decisions due to lack of timely information. That's so true. It seems like just knowing the problems to fix is only half the battle. How'd you help your clients address those challenges? Well, we, of course, first work with our client to design a structured management process that fits their culture and team. And in a lot of situations, we bring in tools like Smartsheet to help the entire project team be more efficient. With the help of Smartsheet, we were able to create dashboards, automate routine tasks, and have information ready in real time to help support leadership's decision making. Wow, it sounds like you not only execute on the project, but your work helps everyone get more done with less work. I hope so. Smartsheet is a powerful tool, and my clients seem to be really happy with it. That's great. Now, if somebody needs help on their project, what should they do? They should check out NRA.com and schedule a call with us to see how we can help. Sounds like a great idea. Well, thank you. I was going to go next to just thinking about working within the large company environment. You know, J&J, very big company, but really... You know, kind of the impression I get, as you describe, a collection of smaller companies forming one very large company. I'm not sure if BD is similar or is much more of a large, large company. It's the same thing. Same, same thing, thing, yeah. So my, my question is really thinking about your advice to people that are in large companies, whether it's BD, J&J, or any other big, big pharma or for whatever company for that matter. How would you advise people to take ownership to kind of progress in their career? So you can easily get I don't want to say lost in a big company like that, but you can. And, and if, for those that are eager and want to move forward, that don't get that advice that you got that one day when they said, hey, what's your five-year plan? How would you tell people to, to make that next step? Although these companies are massive, one of the things people need to recognize is we come into a role, right? You go into a business unit. So the first thing really is understanding where you want to go, right? It's a, I think there's some proverb or something, which I'm going to horribly massacre. But, uh, but if you don't know where you're going, you will get there. Right. So essentially, you need to have sort of an idea. Now, wh- when I ask people in my own organization, so what do you want to do? Right? Wh- where do you see yourself? It doesn't become a finite thing. Once they tell me, it's like, hey, I would love to work in, I don't know, pick something, labeling. That doesn't mean that I have now pigeonholed them into labeling for the rest of their lives. That is something that can change, but you need to be able to have an idea of what you want to do. And again, the next, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but next three to five years, like, where do you think? But have that conversation with your manager, because they may, again, see like the positives that you might not, and they might kind of say, hey, this is a better direction for you. Let's have the conversation. Or I've also been in conversations with, there was one young lady who comes to mind where she said, you know. I've done this. I've finished this. I need to learn. I think the company should allow me to do X. So she talked for about 15 minutes about all the stuff that she needed and what she wanted to do. And uh, when she sort of paused for breath, I said, so let me ask one question. So what are you doing for the company? What contribution have you made to a process, a person, anything, right? And, And she had to just kind of pause and think about that. 
So as people look to growing their career, it's, it's, it's symbiotic. It's when you are doing your role, what are you doing exceptionally well? What is it that somebody will go, hey, if I could work on this with Fred, I would love to do that, even if Fred is in a different role. So what are you doing to be known across the organization? But also having those stretch assignments, but have those conversations. That's how it first begins. And do your job and do it exceptionally well. Because again, a lot of times you will come across people who think they are doing a phenomenal job, don't have the conversation with their managers who are going, yeah, you're average at best. But there's that disconnect, right? And that's when people end up leaving an organization. And that's always, it's always sort of sad because you need to have the discussion. So the manager knows what your expectations are and we can kind of work with the, you know, each individual to create development plans if they want to work across organizations and they're doing a phenomenal job. Absolutely, that'll get facilitated. Because trust me, when I first went to J&J, I remember going to the East Coast for my first big conference of some kind. I think I might have been a manager at the time. Everybody seemed to know everybody. And I was in this room going, I know nobody, right? And I mean, I kind of made a few introductions. By the way, I'm really terrible at networking events, <laughs> believe it or not. So, you know, I had a few conversations. Fast forward about five to seven years, I was at an event and there was someone announcement. They were like, oh, and Nilu is here. Well, of course, everybody knows Nilu, right? Mm -hmm. Going from a moment where I felt like no, I had no idea who these people were to now having enough, not just exposure, but actual actionable work that I had done that people were like, oh yeah, if we need this, we can go to Nilu, right? Yeah. Does that help a little bit or is there? Yeah. Yeah. I got to say, Nilu, I have a mutual friend of ours on LinkedIn who works at Johnson Johnson, who's, you know, a personal friend of mine. And as I said to her, I'm like, oh, I got to meet Nilu. She goes, everybody knows Nilu. She said the same thing about <laughs> you. <laughs> so I guess what you are doing is highly effective. <laughs> yeah, I'm welcome. It was in a very positive way. So <laughs> I think your, your words are very, very good um, in terms of taking action to demonstrate your value to an organization, to others, makes so much more of an impact than just trying to tell people, hey, this is what I, I can do. So doing it and then, yeah, being that person that everybody wants to go to because they know that you've done it and you can do it again and you'll help. And if you need some help with something unique or innovative, I'm gonna go to the person that demonstrated that innovation in some other way before. So how can I draw on that person's experience and fearless attitude to go take on some new challenge. I like, I love that approach. So I think part of it is the what and the how, right? And, yeah. and at j we talk about that at BD, we say the same thing, right? It's like, what do you do, but how do you accomplish it? Right. Yeah. There are people who be like, oh yeah, I got this done. And all of the team is like, I will never work with that person if I can help <laughs> it. Right. That's not, that's not who you want to be. And I think we also, I know I, this was me. Well, early in career, I used to think, well, if I do a great job, my boss will create my development for me, right? Then you become a manager and you realize you've got like so many things you have to do and so many people, you need to take ownership of your own development plan. You need to have that conversation with your manager to create it together. But if we sit back and just wait for people to recognize us or create a development for us, that is something that I think we should stop doing. We yeah. need to just kind of have the conversation and it's not an easy conversation. And another question is like, well, I've been at a job for three months. Do I talk to my boss about what my next move is going to be? It's like, yeah. well, three months, you're just starting to learn. So 
think about you know what your contributions have been and you can have that initial conversation but if you go into a role and and this is what i say to folk who are applying for the jobs that i have open and that is come in for the job you that is advertised don't come in for a job that doesn't exist come in and execute excellently right and let and it's an ad proposition and let's talk about your development plan and let's execute against that development plan right that's great advice yeah we got to get done what's what's on our plate today and then prove that we can take that next step very good now let's shift to the flip side are, are there are there leaders in your career that you worked for or around that maybe you didn't agree with and you had trouble kind of navigating imagine there there may be some or, or maybe just uh you want to hear some of your advice like how do you navigate the situations when maybe you're not on the same page with with your leaders or others in your in your group and to to still be able to contribute and bring your best how do you how do you do that in a situation where yeah it's not all it, it isn't honestly yeah. it, it that's a great question because uh, you know sometimes when you hear podcasts or when you hear it's it's just sunshine and roses it's like you know yeah, yeah but this great career is fabulous <laughs> Uh, but no, I, I think I have learned probably more from my not so great managers mm. than I have from my great managers, because what that makes you realize is this is something I will never do to my team. Right. <laughs> and I think I think that's that's a really good, you know, it kind of helps set. you know, when, when you talk about specification, <laughs> this is the low end of my spec. I will never do this. But yeah. I have aspirational things. It's like, I would love to be like X, right? So one great example in cubicle world, early days, my manager's office was sort of almost at the door that you, you know, went home. It didn't matter what time you were leaving. It didn't matter. It could be five o'clock. It could be 8 p.m. He said, good night. First thing he would do is look at his watch. <laughs> look at his watch. Good night. And every night I went home and I was like, oh my gosh, did I not stay long enough? Did I stay? Was I, ugh, right? And this went on for years and it just drove me batty. And once I asked him, I said, did you know that you kind of look at your watch when people walk out? And he goes, yeah, I, it's just, you know, it's just something I do. Now, yeah. if it was that good. So, so that kind of reinforced what I thought. So one of the philosophies I have is, you know what? Do your job, do it excellently. I don't necessarily need to know if you're coming in at eight or if you're, you know, coming in at nine, whatever it is, just get it done. So none of my team feel, at least nobody's told me, that is something that's a constraint for them. And so just something simple such as that. Yeah. Um, another one is being empowered to act and execute against your plans. I had one leader who, within my first 60 days of 90, I had some great proposals that were vetted with my peers and all the rest of it. They, I just couldn't get them done because it was like, well, give it another, well, let's write. That was frustrating as heck. So I had to have a candid conversation with her as well to say, you know, if we don't execute, then we're perpetuating something that really needs to change. Now, did that change? Not really. And so I had to have make a difficult decision as to how effective I was going to be within that role and whether I needed to make a change. So it's not always your manager who needs to change. It's sometimes right. you need to understand the environment you're in and whether you can sustain being in that organization. Yeah, that makes sense. I love, I love the example of the, the person checking his watch each day because there, there's two ways to look at it. Yeah, it's just something that I do. It's kind of the response you got, but makes you realize that some very simple 
action or activity that you do can be very impacting to somebody who you may not realize it. Maybe it doesn't seem that big of a deal to you, but perhaps to others, and it's the impression that you're leaving. So it's a great example of, of how things, it's not really anything he said, or it's just an action that he took that was unspoken, right? And that made you wonder, right? <laughs> so Exactly. But interestingly enough, I did talk to him about it. And he said, yeah, yeah it, it's so, so he sort of reinforced it. That was an opportunity for him to go, oh, I didn't even realize I made this. Right, that's true. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I also had another leader, and this was actually a senior leader who came into one of the companies. And one of the first things he said is, yeah, my wife says um, I'm a really difficult person, uh, you know, to to discuss things with, but she's gotten used to it. <laughs> and all of us in the room were like, okay, now, yeah. <laughs> what is that saying, right? So I think at a certain point, you have to be really mindful and deliberate about what you're saying. And, and again, I go back to my, my statement about, you know, model the behavior you want to see in others. Right. I've been in situations where people are being very ornery. I love that word and argumentative. Now I can absolutely argue back, but is that what I want to do? Is that the behavior that I want to reinforce? And right. the answer is no. Right. And so I will diffuse the situation. Whereas it, the first reaction would be like, listen, right? But no, that's not what I'm going to do. <laughs> that's great. And, and what that reminds me of is continuing with the theme of, you know, lifelong learning. That individual, if somebody got used to his behavior versus him learning how to evolve and become better. And along those lines, you know, you talk about moving from one position to another where you're forced to learn. What about when you, even if staying in a position, how, how do you go about learning just maybe beyond the job? I want to become a, a better at whatever skill that might be. What's your what's your thought there? Again, it's an, uh, a discussion that you have with your manager. I was actually faced with the same situation in a role that I'd been in for about two to three years. I knew what I was doing. I could pretty much do it. I knew the project teams knew me and I wanted to have that stretch. Now, yeah. it wasn't necessarily a stretch assignment. So I had the discussion because my leader at the time had health economics and reimbursement, reg affairs and quality. So I'd already done my stint in quality. So um, I had a discussion with her about, you know what, I would love to do something in the health economics and reimbursement. Why? Because once a medical device is cleared before a hospital can use it, there's, you know, all of that stuff that needs to happen, which, you know, the whole reimbursement environment, which I knew nothing about. So I was facilitated to join that team for a very specific project. And that was to understand the reimbursement environment across a particular segment of healthcare, essentially. If I hadn't asked, it would not necessarily have been offered to me. But by me putting it out there to say, you know, I would love to learn about X. And I actually had like short, mid and long term goals. It was just a, a, a pretty short assignment. But I aligned as to what the deliverable was going to be and executed against it. So the department got a deliverable done that they didn't have time to do themselves. I learned a ton from that and I was able to bring that experience forward. So essentially, did I need to do it? Not really. But at that point, if you had my resume that said RA with reimbursement and health economic experience versus somebody with just pure RA experience, I would definitely have had that, that leg up. So you kind of helped to, to basically put more tools in your toolbox that when you went for something even different from what you just learned, now you're, you've got more value because you've got something else you're carrying in your back pocket to help understand the new business unit. 
that, but also what you're doing is it, it, it broadens your perspective. And I think that's why I've done, you know, several like laterals, et cetera, because speaking just purely from a regulatory lens is one aspect, but knowing enough about other functions and other areas that are adjacencies gives you that broader perspective. And so being part of leadership teams, I don't just speak for our rate. I am responsible for business perspective as well. Right. And so I'm not saying it's not enough to know RA. It is absolutely enough. But if you are somebody who wants to continue to learn and grow, then why not learn about something outside of your immediate sphere? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Excellent. I uh, really appreciate all your time. We are coming towards the end of our our time here, but I I always like to give our guests the opportunity to to highlight anything else you might want to share that, that excites you today whether it's in the business world or not, maybe something that you're working on that you want to share with our listeners, anything that uh, you'd like to share beyond the business world, so to speak? Yeah, I think the only thing that I would say is don't be afraid, right? Take risks, but take known risks, right? So assess, decide that you're going to do something different, like weigh the pros and cons. Don't be afraid to have that conversation with a mentor or somebody that you trust within the organization or outside. And it's, again, really easy to kind of cut off possibilities rather than just kind of take a leap of faith and make an informed decision, but take that leap. It might be fun. <laughs> That's excellent. I, just to add to that, I, I often think back to, and I don't remember the exact details of where I heard this, but talking about a conversation you might have with a manager or a peer or somebody, if it's a difficult conversation, it's, it is going to be difficult, but looking at it as, Hey, this is going to be five to 10 minutes of potential pain, but I'm going to get a lot of reward beyond it. So I've got to encounter that pain in order to get to the next step and get to the next level and beyond and not be afraid of having that, that experience, but anticipate it, deal with it, learn from it. So very much aligned. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Neela. We really enjoyed having you on the show and we're looking forward to hearing more great things that you're doing at BD and beyond. Cool. Thank you so much for having me. It's lovely to speak with you both. Yeah, very thank good. You so thank you so much, Neelu. I just want to say that I am delighted to talk to you on a Monday morning because you don't know how much more fired up I am now for the rest of the week that I've got the chance to talk with you. So thank you for this wonderful conversation and all the inspiration, truly. Oh, absolutely. I'll talk with you again soon. Take care now. Thank you. All right, let's wrap this up. If you like this podcast, please don't forget to subscribe. That really helps us out. And also leave us a five-star rating. That's a big help too. If you'd like, please feel free to share your thoughts in the comments as well. Thank you for listening and hope to see you next time on the Leaders in Life Sciences podcast, powered by NTRA Life Sciences Consulting, where people drive results. Take care.